The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. This week, we are so excited uh, that we have Daniel Henderson, who's going to be bringing the word this morning. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah, clap. That's awesome. We're stoked about it. Uh, If you don't know, uh, Daniel and his wife, Kayla Henderson, have been a part of Love City for many, many years. Uh, And they currently serve as community group leaders, and they have been and continue to be uh, faithful servants and leaders in all sorts of ways here at Love City, and we are really grateful for them. So, Daniel, why don't you uh, come up here and, and teach us the word, my friend? Go ahead and clap for him. Thank you, Pastor Jordan. I'm a wreck after that last song um, because of the truth that, it, that we were singing. And I feel like we need to linger there for a minute because this is the foundation of all we are as Christians and all we are uh, in this message today is the cross of Christ, that, that the cross is not just a symbol, it's not just a, a chain that we wear around our neck or a, or a tattoo that we can get, but it's a demonstration that God gave himself as a sacrifice for our sin, for my sin, and for your sin. That the creator of the cosmos, that the perfect, holy, righteous one died in my place for my sins. That Jesus will suffer more than I will ever suffer, God, that God took my place. We should never get over that, that the cross of Christ is the reason any of us have a shot to have communion and fellowship with God. We cannot come to God on our own because of our sin, but Christ has made a way and his blood can cleanse of all sin. And I am thankful that though we are weak, that God has called us to himself. And that God uses cracked, weak, and broken vessels. So the attention would be on the light in the vessel, not on the vessel. Picture a a clay pot that's rugged and broken down, that has all these cracks in it that's somehow being held together. But there's a great light in it. And it's all to the glory of God. And that is our life, that though we are broken and weak, that God has chosen to use the weak things in the world to shame those that are strong. That God has called the foolish things in the world to shame those who are wise. So if you feel broken this morning, that you're barely being held together, if you're in Christ, there's a great light that shines. And it shines so bright that people 
see that great light and Christ is glorified. So I don't want us to linger, I want us to linger and not just move from a song to the sermon, but think about the cross. Pastor Vince had us last week picturing Christ on that cross. And are we really gonna look at him and say your sacrifice was not enough? The blood you shed was not enough. That though we are sinners and weak, we can come to God with boldness and confidence because of what Jesus has done for us in our stead. And this is where I want to lay the foundation this morning before we get in to our passage. I do want to read the passage first so we know where we're going. That's in the book, the letter that we've been in, Galatians chapter 3. You will turn there with me. Galatians chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 1 through 14 today. This is a heavy message because of the doctrinal truths that are that are in here. And I don't want us to take this lightly because this is life or death for us. What we do here every Sunday is not just a club or or a gathering or something that doesn't matter. This matters. This matters a lot. So I want us to prepare our hearts in prayer to come to God and to ask him to help us See these truths. Father, we come before you in the great name of your Son. We have no hope without you, Lord. For left, if you had left us to our own devices and our own sin and our own wants and desires, we would run from you, but you have called us to yourself. That you have called us to believe in you, to trust in you, that your sacrifice is enough to cleanse us of all sin and shame. We thank you, Lord. Thank you that you have loved us in this way, that not only, Father, have you told us you love us through your word, but you have demonstrated your love for us. That your words have been followed by action, that you came to be our substitute, that we would be reconciled to you and that you would adopt us as your sons and your daughters, that we would no longer be captives of our sin and slaves of the world, but we would be slaves of Jesus Christ. And I ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds because we are so wayward, God. We are so distracted, we are so broken and beat down, but there is power in your gospel that the world cannot give. And so, Lord, I ask that this message would not be from me, but it would be from your lips, Master, and that we would take it in as it is living water, that we would never thirst again, and bread that we would eat, that we would never hunger All things are possible with you, Father. It's in the great name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Now let's read Galatians chapter 3, 1 through 14. You foolish Galatians, 
who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then is he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you. Do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Amen to God's word. In the book of Romans chapter one, Paul lays out what the gospel is. And I mention Romans because Romans is very key in, in pairing with this letter that we're in, in the Galatians. They're very similar, they are different, but they're both gospel expositions that the gospel is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And what does Paul say in the beginning of his letter in the book of Romans? He says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God. Jesus Christ, what we sang about, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's why he was not ashamed of the gospel. Why wasn't he ashamed? Because it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. This isn't just some doctrine that we can believe with our minds. It is actual power to be saved from sin and death. And that's why Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That's the first point of our foundation here. The second point 
is the gospel, is the revelation, the revealing, the open window to God's righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? Righteousness. It's this idea of perfect conformity to God's character in every way that perfection and purpose, thought and action, there is no blemish, there is no wrinkle, there is nothing. It is perfection. It is righteousness. It is acceptable to God fully in every single way. It's perfect. It satisfies God. God is righteous. And nothing we can give God can match this righteousness. It cannot even equal it, let alone surpass it. And you can picture this, this great artisan, this great craftsman who is good with tools and he's also good with maps and geography. And he makes this globe, this, the best globe anyone's ever seen. It's, you, can, you, know, it's, you can hold it in your hand, but it's big, it's weighty, it's heavy. All the continents and the mountains are in their perfect spot. Everything is perfect on this globe. Look at this globe that I made. And it would be like taking that globe that we made and giving it to God saying, what I made is equal to what you made. And God created the cosmos, right? He created this world. You see the scale? It's such a grand scale. It doesn't, it doesn't match it, let alone supersede it. It's, 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 just, a, it's just a globe. But, but, but it's the earth. It's look what I made with my hands. No, it's this righteousness is far above anything we could ever bring to God. Now, this righteousness has been revealed by God for mankind. And this is the beauty of the gospel that we're going to get into, that the righteousness that God requires for us to have fellowship with him is provided in Christ. To make us righteous as God is righteous. How does that happen? Through the work of Christ given to us, credited to us by faith. He satisfied the law, bore our sin, took our shame, suffered our deserved punishment for our sin. And his work is accounted to us. And faith is a big part of this letter, but I want to make something very clear and I want you to remember this. This is very important. Faith is not what saves you. Jesus saves you. So what is faith? Faith. Because I like music, I always go to musical analogies, but here's another one. Faith is the instrument that God plays his most beautiful gospel symphony through. But it is God playing, it is God crafting, it is God doing the work Faith is the instrument that he uses, but it is a beautiful gospel symphony that he uses. And this is Paul's message, that the righteous one took our unrighteousness. We are unrighteous. We just said God is righteous. Scripture says we are unrighteous. But the righteous one took our unrighteousness. You picture if this is our unrighteousness, God took it, he has it. And what, did he, what, did he, what is God going to do with this unrighteousness to, to get rid of this problem? Well, he takes it. What he could have done is take it and put it on a piece of paper or a tablet and then he nailed it to the cross, but he didn't do that. What did he do? He took our unrighteousness 
And he laid it upon Jesus Christ. So in Christ's body, he bore your sin and my sin. That's how the problem is solved, is God took your unrighteousness and he threw it on Jesus. God just doesn't throw our sin into the sea or stomp on it or throw it away like it doesn't matter because he's a just God. So what does a just God do to be the just and the justifier both at the same time? He punishes Christ in your stead. And this is the gospel. We are acceptable to God because it is perfect, unblemished righteousness that is ours in Christ. And this is our foundation. We can't, we could linger here, but we have to move on. That we have to be convinced that our only hope in this life at all, is a crucified man, a crucified Messiah, crucified for our sins in our place. The gospel is the power of God. And so thus far in Galatians, we read read in Galatians 1 that Paul is amazed that so quickly, so quickly they're deserting Christ who called them by his grace for a different gospel. You see the problem here. This is the only gospel that saves. And so quickly they're leaving it for another, even though Paul said it's not another. Some have come in and they tried to distort Christ's gospel, to twist it, to pervert it, conform it to their own opinions and ways of the law. But isn't that what we would do if we made up the gospel? is we would have a list of things to do. You do those things and you're righteous. That would be the gospel of man. And a lot of us would be good at that. A lot of us would. But that would be the gospel according to man. But as Paul says, this gospel is not from man, it is from God. It's from God himself. And so Paul in Galatians, in the first two chapters, we read that he is defending this gospel with his life. And we must too, because it is our only hope, our only shot to be reconciled to God. So Paul continues in Galatians 2 to defend the truth of the gospel. This gospel he received directly from Jesus. And he was commissioned to reach the Gentiles through this message. And even in this letter in Galatians 1, if you remember, he asked the question. What was his question? He said, am I still trying to please man? Because remember, they're bringing a man's gospel. Am I trying to please them? Because it's tempting. Temptation is there to please men. Because to please man, it makes sense to man. It makes sense to us, these things. Sometimes the gospel and the scriptures do not make sense to us because we we are not full of the spirit like we should be. They're foreign to us so many times. That's why we need the Spirit to help us. So Paul said, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a slave of Christ. See, my brothers and sisters, nobody can serve two masters. You must hate the one and love the other. You cannot have both. You must choose. And Paul is choosing Christ. And this false gospel has got in, has led believers away. We read, including Peter and Barnabas, they were led away. So Paul's job is to be straightforward about the truth of the gospel and he boldly confronts those living in hypocrisy. 
And then one more thing, and we'll, we'll go to our text. The last thing we read, one of the last things we read last week was, this was Paul's message, that a person is not justified. What does that mean, if you remember? Justified, made right with God, declared righteous. But it's not just that. That God would treat you as righteous too. And that's something we need to, we need to understand, that it's not that God says not guilty. He says, you're not guilty and you're my son and my daughter. Come here. That's what it means to be justified. And Paul says, a person does not get in that state with God to be justified with God by the law. He says, through faith in Christ Jesus, not by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ. And this is how we ended chapter two. He ends it with this, I do not set aside, reject, make void the grace of God. Because if you were trying, if he was trying to achieve this righteousness by the law, he would take this grace and he would set it right over here. And he would, and he would walk away from it and never seeing it again. He says, if I tried to be righteous by the law, that's what I would do. I would take this grace and just throw it over here. He says, I'm not doing that. Because if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died for no reason. What do we think, what do we think a bloodied sacrifice, a man hanging there, what do you think all that's for? It's for our sin. And that's the foundation. And I labored those points so much because it's important to understand where we've been so we can know where we're going here. To lay that foundation, as Paul says, you lay a foundation as a builder so you can build things on top of it. And that's why we are laboring this point. And he jumps in here, oh, foolish Galatians. Oh man, how foolish are we sometimes? All the, all the glorious things that we've sung about and talked about, some, some that we'll just, sometimes we take that and just lay it to the side and we're like, no, I'm, I'm gonna do things my way. Because uh, my way makes sense to me, right? Our ways make sense. Oh, but remember, this is God's way. He says, foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? What an interesting word, bewitched. This word is nowhere used else in the Bible. So Paul is going outside his vocabulary. He's going outside of the words he normally uses and says, you guys are bewitched. That's a weird word. It means to charm, to fascinate. But what's the problem with that? Well, it's to charm and fascinate in a misleading way. And these were believers that were bewitched. That's the first point is as a believer, you have to understand you can be bewitched by a false gospel, by charming and fascinating ideas of the world or yourself that can just put you in a haze and you don't know what's going on. And he says, the Galatians, you're bewitched. He's, he's coming at them strongly. And then he adds to it, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now that's two in true ways. That's true in two ways. That Paul in his ministry preached the gospel so effectively, why? Why did Paul preach the gospel so effectively? Was he the greatest orator that ever lived? No. Did he boast in his wisdom? No. What was the difference? What we just talked about, that the gospel is the power of God. It's not just a man standing up telling you what to do. It's a man standing up and telling you what a man already did for you. That's the gospel. 
And so Paul's word came in power. And what does power look like? Power looks like when it's, it could be just words, but those words somehow penetrate your conscience. It gets your heart and it gets your mind and you see what you've been thinking and doing all along is wrong. That's what the gospel does. It confronts us. And I know in my life, sometimes I have not liked that feeling of being confronted that I'm in the wrong, that I don't have it all together. I've been bewitched. Second of all, how this is true. Someone's gonna have to give me a time. Uh, Y'all just shout when I, I don't do this very often, so, you know, I don't want us to be here till one, so. It's 22, thank you. Um, So, the second way this is true He says, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. The second way that's true is God put forth Christ publicly on display in the center of the religious world for all to see. One pastor, old time pastor, he said, God placarded his son. What does that mean? Like as a sign or a public display, Christ. You picture a big billboard or something in the middle of Vegas or, I don't know, like Pigeon Forge. Good Lord. So much going on there, right? Gave me a headache going to Pigeon Forge. But in the middle of that, this big billboard, what has God put on the billboard? God could put a lot of things on that billboard. What does he put there? He puts his son. He placards him there for all to see. This is my son whom I love who came to save sinners. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's why Paul's not ashamed because God placarded his son for all to see. And we can see him now by faith in his word. We can't see Christ, but we can almost see him clear by faith in our souls and spirits. If we search, we know him. When we see him, yes, we will be in awe. Yes, we will be stunned. Yes, we will be on our face. Oh, but we will know Christ. We will know him because the gospel is the power of God. It's not just the thing that I believe intellectually. God has come to live inside me and I have communion with him. And I'm intimate with him in a real way. I don't have to see God to love him. But one day we will see him and we will stand before him together in wonder and glory at his beauty. And Paul said, this is the only thing I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And that goes on to our point. Now, what is salvation? This isn't something that's talked a lot about today. It's not just an intellectual decision. Salvation, according to scripture, is regeneration. It is to be born again. It's not a mere decision, but it's regeneration. Jesus said, you must be born again. Well, I was born this way, and this is how I feel, and this is, this is what I feel like I should do. My emotions were bent this way. I was just born that way. You must be born again, Jesus says. 
You must have a new nature. Yes, it is beautiful that we are made in the image of God. Oh, yes, it's beautiful. That's why we respect everybody and we fight for other people that are being abused and mistreated because everybody is made in God's image. But I want to tell you something. It's not enough to be reconciled to God. It's not enough because we are so stained and polluted with sin. It's not enough to give that to God. We must give him righteousness. We can't hand God a globe and say, this is, I, I did exactly what you did. No, it's not good enough. And this is kind of a lengthy definition of salvation, but I want to give it because I think it's important and I'm going to give it at the end too. I'm going to try to go slow. But salvation is regeneration. It is reconciliation to God by forgiveness of sins accomplished by the work of Christ, applied through the Holy Spirit, by which we live in the reality of our adoption as God's children. That's salvation. Not just that I believe in God and I believe in Jesus and I go about my way. No, this is a whole transformation. That your old nature is gone, it's done for, it's crucified. You're not you anymore. Well, who am I? You're you know, I don't even know if Paul knew who he was because in, Gala- in, in the verses before we read last week, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. Well, he doesn't even know who he is because Christ has so infiltrated his life that he can't say that it's me living, even though it is, li- even though it is me living and moving and breathing. But Christ has so overtaken my heart that I don't even live anymore. It's just Christ. And if we lived in that reality, brothers and sisters, if we lived in that sight, that view, how many petty things we wouldn't get involved in? How many things we wouldn't worry about? If we lived in the reality of our adoption as God's children, we wouldn't have to fight and claw saying, I'm not good enough. I, I, I can't do it. That's, that's the point. Just If you're a follower of Christ, just take that in. You're not good enough on your own. You don't have righteousness. Everything you have is a gift from God. Now walk in that, son or daughter. Walk in that and walk in power. Not vain confidence, not in boasting, not in vain glory, but power that God has called me to himself. And not only that, he lives inside of me. And that is enough to cause people to say, what is wrong with him? What is wrong with her? That's what we need. Is we need to be awakened to the reality of who we are in Christ. That's the great need of the day. Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Mm, I've struggled with this a lot. It started with the spirit, but then you get an idea in your mind, all right, thank you, Lord, for this gift. Now, now, now I can do it. I can do it now. You, you watch me. You're going to be proud of me. I can do it. And when we don't do it, we're in despair and we're in shame. Man, we could save ourselves from so much trouble, so much despair. Because that's what the Galatians were doing. That's what Paul is saying. Is this whole thing begun with the spirit of what? 
of regeneration, that you received it as a gift, that God came to live inside of you and forgive you of your sins, and, and now you're just going to try to do it on your own. We're trying to be perfected by the flesh, but that's not how sanctification works. Even sanctification is a work of the Spirit. Because even the desire to want to live a holy life is not in you naturally, in any of us. To live a holy life separate to God and not to do the things we want to do because we feel a certain way and to like crucify those and say, I'm not doing that. Well, why? It feels great. Because I've been bought with a price. That's why. I've been bought. Not just a decision I made, but Christ actually bought me and purchased me on the cross. And so everything I, I do now is in light of that. Verse five, so, so then does he who provides you with the spirit and works miracles among you, the spirit, and one thing to note real quick, starting from verse two on, Paul references the Holy Spirit in his person 16 times in the rest of this letter. In the coming weeks, we're gonna see that. We're gonna see distinctions between the flesh and the spirit. We're gonna see how vital of a role the Holy Spirit is in our life, that we cannot do anything without the Holy Spirit. We need him. And he's not a force, he's a person. He's God. And he's living inside of us. Paul says elsewhere, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. You see those two realities there. You're gonna be filled with something. It could be pride, it could be selfish ambition, conceit, alcohol, whatever it is. Paul says, that, don't do that. Be filled with the Spirit. There's this filling that affects you. And it's the Spirit. So Paul, 16 times from this point on, is gonna reference the Holy Spirit. I want you to keep that in your mind as we move on, not just today, but in the rest of this series. So then does he who provides you with the spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's all a gift of God. Then he's gonna go to Abraham right now. Verse six, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, it was accounted, accredited, Justified by faith. So that those who are of faith, those are the sons of Abraham. That true descendants to Abraham in regard to the gospel are not those that are just descended from him in a physical sense. That wasn't even the plan all along. It's those who are justified by faith in Christ. Those are the children of Abraham, not by works of the law. And Paul says this very clear in Philippians 3, where he says, beware of the dogs, beware of the, evil do beware of the evildoers, for they're the false circumcision. But what does he say? We are the true circumcision. Well, why? Because we don't worship in the flesh, we worship in the spirit of God, and we glory in Christ Jesus. And what does that mean? Well, that means it's not ourselves, it's Christ that is everything. And you can see Abraham, when he believed in faith, that faith wasn't just lip service he was giving to God, it was followed by action. And that is what true faith, biblical faith is. Well, how can you prove that? Well, if you go further in the story, do you remember when 
First, God called Abraham out of his pagan lifestyle, and he called him not by works, but he called him out of his grace. He said, I need you to believe me. And it wasn't after he was circumcised that he was justified, it was before. God making a point, saying, it's not by works, it's by him who calls you. It's not by the man who runs or wills, but on he that has mercy. And so God said, through Isaac, through Isaac, the promise will be fulfilled, through Isaac. Abraham said, he had some doubts, you know, but he believed God. And so Isaac comes along. Isaac comes along, and if you remember the story, what does God tell then Abraham to do? He says, I need you to take your son Isaac, and I need you to sacrifice him. I need you to go to Mount Moriah, and I need you to sacrifice him there. What does Abraham do? This is so key. What does he do? He believed God. He believed him. Well, this, God, I don't know about that. I think finally I caught you. I think finally I caught you in a pickle because if I do this, that, that, that means all your promises are gonna be made void. You're gonna look like a fool. You are not gonna be Yahweh. You're gonna be just another God. He could have done that, but what did he do? He believed God. He took his son, Isaac, and he put the wood on his back and he marched him up Mount Moriah knowing that even though he was gonna kill him there as an offering, that God has enough power to even raise him back from the dead. How about that faith? I don't know what's going on here, but I know that you're gonna, you're gonna help me to see because I trust you. Even though I can't see now, I believe in you because we walk by faith and not by sight. This started with Abraham. He's not walking by sight, he's walking by faith. And of course, this whole story is a gospel picture because Jesus was walking up a hill, bearing some wood. And Abraham rejoiced when he saw the ram. It says elsewhere in scripture that Abraham rejoiced when he saw the day of Christ. Well, Abraham didn't see Christ. He saw that ram caught in the thicket. That God said a sacrifice has been taken care of. And that's the gospel that Jesus bore our sin, and he, carried, he went up that hill with wood on his back. But God did not spare him this time like he did Isaac. The full force of his wrath came down upon his son. It pleased Yahweh to crush him. It pleased the father to crush him as an offering for sin. So Abraham, that's why he is our father in the faith because he not only believed God with his lips, he believed him in his action. He trusted him. He trusted him. He fell in the arms of him and said, I, don't, I can't see right now. It's all dark, but I'm just going to fall into your arms because I know you got me. I know you do. Well, why? Because you told me. Because you told me. God, call, God calls us to believe him at his word. That's our response to the gospel. Verse nine, so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. It's not enough to do a little bit of the law to be righteous. 
It's not enough to do 99.9999% of the law. You would still be unrighteous because righteousness is complete, utter perfection, no stain, no wrinkle, nor spot. It can be handed to God and God will accept it. A little, almost all the way doesn't work. Well, then we're left in a lot of trouble because it says that as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. Now here's our big problem, really, of our nature. Is the law holy, righteous, and good, yes or no? Are there good things in the law that we should follow? I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Even people that are against God in our culture say, you should follow these laws, these, these, are, these are good laws. well, then why can't we do them if they're so holy, righteous, and good? Why can't we do them? What's the problem? Because we're not holy, righteous, and good. We are sinners. I'll even go further. What do sinners mean? That means we're evil. We are. In comparison to God, we are evil. Well, I don't agree with that. Well, it says in the book of Psalms that the Israelites sinned in a certain way because they thought they they thought that God was like them. God is not like us. That's what holy means. He is so set apart and exalted and different that sometimes we can't even relate to him. Because he is so far above. What does unrighteousness have anything to do with righteousness? Nothing. That's the predicament that we're in. Well, that means we're under a curse then. That means we are cursed because the law is holy, righteous, and good. These are good good things, perfect things, holy things, yet we can't fulfill them perfectly. This should cause us distress. Why? Why? And so we can either be left in despair, one. We can just not care, and say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in his, in his word. I'm gonna be my own God. Or we can be left with a sorrow that leads us to repentance and belief in Christ. Knowing that Christ has accomplished the work for us. Verse 11, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous will live by faith. Righteous will live by faith. Not that the righteous will do all the things that are righteous all the time. That's only God. But the righteous, what God has called us to is to live by faith. To live in him, to trust him. And Paul spells this out very clearly in Romans. You can turn there if you want. I'm just gonna read this section because it so directly ties to what he's talking about. Galatians was written first. But Romans, such a clear gospel exposition. Romans chapter three, starting at verse 21. I am almost convinced these are, these are the most important words in all the scriptures, what we're about to read right here. And it's so, there's so much going on here that, we, that there could be months and months and series and series is on these verses but these are some of the most important verses in all the scriptures that Paul is talking about in Galatians and it directly ties 
to what we're doing here, and I want to read those as we start to close. Romans chapter 3, verse 21, starting at verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the beautiful, magnificent glory of God. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of words there, but in the Greek, it's just like you're justified as a gift, as a gift, as a gift. That's what it means. It's all a gift whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Propitiation, it's a removal of God's wrath. That Christ has satisfied it because God's wrath is real. And Jesus Christ bore that as propitiation, very important word. How did he satisfy that propitiation? It says in the next line, in his blood. That's how he satisfied the wrath of God was in his blood, through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Or the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time. Here's what I want to key in here. So that he would be just, both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. How can a just good God remain good and just without letting sin go? God just can't remove sin. Do you know every single sin in the history of the world is going to be punished? Every single one. Nothing nothing escapes God. And we will either choose to bear that on our backs in hell, which is what hell is. It's complete, perfect justice given to you that we would deserve. But there is a better way. And the way is Jesus. That God will die in our place for our sins so God could remain who he is and who he said he was all along. He can be both just and the justifier because Jesus took our wrath for us. Those are very important verses and I wanted to take us there because they deserve further study and we just don't have time right now. But We're almost done. What time is it? Okay. We'll close here, last three verses. However, the law is not of faith. Rather, he who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Let those words just sit for a minute. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. As it says, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jews considered you cursed of God. And Jesus was considered cursed of God. God treated him as cursed. Now, this is a very tricky passage because we don't want to go too far. 
and say that Jesus stopped being God or he was utterly cursed or we don't want to go that far. We want to say that God in his full force treated Christ as a curse. But here's the beautiful parallel. Even though Christ was still Christ and he was not a full curse, but he was treated that way for us. Even though we're not righteous, God will treat you as righteous. You see the swap? We're not righteous, but God is going to treat us like we're righteous, like we've fulfilled the whole law. Like God's going to adopt us as our sons and our daughters, not because we fulfilled the law, because Jesus did. He didn't just die for us, he lived for us. And even now, if you're in Christ, he's praying for you and he's living for you and he loves you and he supports you. He's gonna hold you up in the night when it's hard. He's gonna hold you when people die around you. He's gonna hold you when you don't know where to go next. Things don't make sense. He's gonna be there because you're clothed in his righteousness. He can't treat you any other way. He can't. Or else Christ wouldn't be God and none of this would matter. But because we have Christ's robes on, who can come against me? Who is there to harm me? Death, peril, sword, persecution. Who can separate me from the love of Christ? Nothing. Nothing can. Last verse, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, might come to us, friends, so that we would receive the what? Paul started with this, he's gonna end with it. We would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Holy Spirit, that we would receive the promise. We don't wanna lose that part of the gospel as God now lives and gives us power and gives us victory over sin because he lives in us by the Holy Spirit. All things are possible now. So we would receive the promise of the Spirit through what? Through our works? That we're good enough to go to God on our own? No. Remember, righteousness. But if we're clothed with Christ's righteousness, God says, come here, close. Come here close. And you will never not be treated like a son or daughter by God, that's for sure. Maybe by somebody else, but not by the one that matters. And this is our hope, friends. And I want to leave us with a couple questions for us to think about and some application real fast. The Bible's main motive, listen, isn't just to show us how to get to heaven. That's, that's, that's really not what it's about. Heaven is a very real place. But that, what is the Bible's main motive? It's that we would know God in Christ. What did Jesus say in John? In the high priestly prayer, he's talking to the Father. He said, this is eternal life. What? What is eternal life? From the lips of our master. This is eternal life 
that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Not just about heaven, it's about Christ. And it's about knowing that in Christ, in the person of Christ, and he's here right now, in Christ is everything you're looking for. Everything. Wisdom. Peace. Joy. Pleasure is in Christ. This is eternal life. Not just some words to repeat so we can go to heaven when we die. It's to know, intimately know the God who made you. Who made you. Think about that. God himself formed and fashioned you with his hand and then redeemed you. Bought you back from all your slavery of sin. He's given you a new name now. That name is Christ. Communion with God, listen, communion with God. A sharing with God like, you know, your best friend. Communion with God is the gospel's greatest goal. It's personal, not just theological. Sometimes there's so many words. Even today, there's just, there's just so many words. It's not even about the words, it's about the person. Can't we see that? It's not just we want to know theology, we want to know the person of Jesus Christ. Because <laughs> he's real. It's not just words on a page. And this is what the Bible's all about, is how do I come close to, to God? It's through Christ. Jesus is the reason heaven is heaven. The power of the gospel isn't just so we would go to heaven, that we would know Christ and have fellowship with God and behold his glory forever. So I have three questions for us before we close. Are we being obedient to God, to Christ, because we love him and he has shown his love for us? Is that the root of our obedience or is the root that we want to pridefully demonstrate that we're worthy of his love. Did you wrestle with that? Question two, are we, are we convinced of his perfect love toward us? Or are we more convinced of our imperfect works to try to gain his perfect love? Where are you today? Question three, are we living in his commands so we would be filled with the spirit? and in closeness with Christ himself? Or are we doing these things to get him to love us on our own? Apart from his spirit of grace. True obedience flows from true intimacy, fellowship, and communion with the living God. We love because he first loved us. So seek after Christ, long to know him more, press into him through weakness, that God will be glorified through everything. May we walk by faith in the power of the Spirit and in full assurance of the promises of God toward us. May Christ get all the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the truth of your gospel. Thank you that all who are thirsty can come and drink, that all who are hungry can come and eat, that all those who have come to the end of themselves can come and find who they really are in you. We thank you that the gospel, not just words, but it's power. It's a powerful reality that you, Lord, have died in our place for our sins. That you know, Father, you knew that we were unable, even unwilling, to come to you. But by your spirit, you have called us by your grace to come and have eternal life by knowing you, Lord. May this not escape our attention. May we not just go from here forgetting who you are and following our own passions and desires and lusts. But may this be the day where we say, enough of me, I want all of Christ. Please, only you by your spirit can do this. Strengthen us as your people. We're so weak, we're so tired, but in you we find our rest. Would you be our rest, Father? Be our rest, please. Please help us, Lord. Please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.